This is the Good Judge Men Podcast. Folks, welcome to part two of our merger podcast. This is the Good Judgment Podcast, and as we indicated, we're recording this on May the 3rd, 2017, 2019 in Athens, Georgia, at the awesome University of Georgia Law School podcast studios. Go dogs. Now, merger's a big topic, and we knew we had to break it up. We're trying to keep these in sort of shorter segments, so welcome to part two, which might be subtitled The Required Evidence Test. So the required evidence test that we've been discussing, if the statute makes one act illegal, requires proof of a fact that the other does not, the offenses do not merge, even if the acts are all committed in a single act or transaction. Stated another way, if the facts of the case are used up in proving one crime, then the offenses merge. And This has been the law since 06 in a case that was called Drinkard, D-R-I-N-K-A-R-D versus Walker, which was a habeas corpus case from 2006. And I'll be honest with you. I really think that the required evidence test, as as it has been called, is an attempt of the appellate courts to try to help us see merger and find merger. But I really think, like you said earlier, it helps when you start with, is it a single act or transaction? If not, stop. It's, they don't merge. If so, are all the facts used up? So that's really what the, re, the required evidence test uh, says. Well, let's look at some examples of that, Wade. Okay. <clears throat> so if we have an armed robbery where the defendant shoots and kills the victim during the convenience store robbery, let's look at this. So malice murder has an element that must be proven. First of all, that's the death of the victim. That armed robbery does not contain. And armed robbery has an element, which is the taking of property that malice murder does not contain. And, you know, that comes up a lot. Yes, it does. And that's that Dixon case. I guess the most recent statement has been the Dixon case, 302 Georgia 691 2017 case. Now, if you even if you find that these acts occurred in a single transaction or occurrence, these offenses do not merge. Yeah, and the reason for that is pretty simple, because under the required evidence test, each crime requires proof of at least one element that the other does not. So let's let's go back over that. For example, malice murder has an element that must be proven, which is the death of the victim, that armed robbery doesn't contain. Armed robbery has an element, which is the taking of property, that malice murder doesn't contain. And because each of them requires that separate showing and that separate piece of evidence, the two don't merge. You know, one one piece of cautionary advice I would give is make sure you compare these crimes both ways. In other words, don't look at just murder and say, well, that has an element armed robbery doesn't, so therefore they both do not merge. Look at it both ways because it's easy to lose sort of perspective when you're in one of these in deep in the weeds sort of examinations of facts. And you can lose the fact that, well, wait a minute, this one has an additional element, but that one got all used up. Examine them both ways. So let's, let's go back with our basic, basic examples and talk about it. If the defendant points a victim, excuse me, points a weapon at a victim and takes a cell phone, All the elements of aggravated assault, that is the pointing of the weapon, are used up in proving the armed robbery. So if this was all one act or transaction, you didn't find there was a deliberate interval, those offenses would merge 
under the required evidence test. Yeah, and that makes sense because you're essentially proving both crimes with the same evidence. And it wouldn't seem to be fair under the Constitution to convict a defendant of the same elements of the crime and call that two separate offenses that would require him to or her to be punished uh, two different ways. All right, Tane, so now, defendant uses a weapon, shoots the victim, and takes his wallet. He flees, then he comes back and shoots the victim again because he finds out the victim is still living. You kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the test we talked about a few minutes ago. There's not a merger there because you have a clear, deliberate interval between the completion of the armed robbery and the second aggravated assault. Now, the first aggravated assault, the pointing and taking the, the wallet or whatever it was, cell phone, whatever it was, those are going to merge. Right. It's the second one that doesn't merge. That's exactly right. So if you have, for example, the defendant charged and a verdict is rendered against him on two different aggravated assaults in that scenario, the first one where he pointed the uh, weapon at the victim and the second one where he comes back and shoots uh, the victim, then there would be a merger in the first instance, instance, but not in the second instance. Correct. Let's talk about some just specific crimes that these are some cases that we found leading up to today's podcast. Believe it or not, we did do research. I know you find it hard to believe given how haphazard we present this, but eh, we did some research. Wade did some research. Okay. I'm just here for color commentary. <laughs> aggravated assault, attempted kidnapping. So if the defendant is charged with aggravated assault and attempted ki kidnapping in a single transaction— those offenses would not merge. You may remember you, a while ago you went through a scenario where you talked about somebody pointing a weapon and getting somebody in the car. Right. And I, I wanted to put that, I told you that we were talking about at the time deliberate interval or not, and that we would come back to required evidence test. So to prove the aggravated assault, the state was required to show that the defendant used a deadly weapon to place the victim in reasonable apprehension of receiving a violent injury. To approve the, t the attempted kidnapping, states required to show that the defendant took a substantial step, again, the, the attempt, took a substantial step toward abducting the victim without lawful authority and holding her against her will. Because each of these crimes was established by proof of an additional fact that the other one did not require, they do not merge. That is a single act or transaction, mm -hmm. but they don't merge because the required evidence test says there were additional elements and facts that had to be proven to prove both of those different crimes. So I don't want to beat a dead horse, Wade, but we've already, in that scenario, we've gone through our initial analysis and found out that there was no deliberate interval between the acts. So that's gotten us through the, through the first step of the test. Then in the second step of the test, we're looking at whether or not all of the facts uh, that are needed to prove one of the particular crimes are included in proving the other crime. And so in this case, because uh, the attempted kidnapping and the aggravated assault each contain different elements that have to be proved and were proved at trial, they do not merge. So again, so you move on to child molestation and, and cruelty to children. Those would not merge, even if you find that there's a single act or transaction, because child molestation requires proof that a defendant committed a sexual act with the intent to arouse his or the child's sexual desires. But the offense of cruelty to children in the first degree requires proof that the defendant maliciously caused the child cruel or excessive physical or mental pain. Each crime requires proof of an element that the other one doesn't. So even if they are a single act or transaction, they do not merge. That's the Womack case, W-O-M-A-C versus the state, 
2017 case. Yeah, and another example that comes up uh, from time to time, the offenses of aggravated assault and terroristic threats do not merge. To prove the two counts of aggravated assault in this particular case, the state had to show that the defendant, Petro, uh, committed an assault upon his girlfriend and her ex-boyfriend with the knife, an object which, when used offensively against another, is likely to result in serious bodily injury. To prove the two counts of terroristic threats, the state had to show that Petro threatened to murder his girlfriend and her ex-boyfriend with the purpose of terrorizing them. As such, the crimes of aggravated assault and terroristic threats required the state to prove at least one fact different from the other and no merger occurred. And that state of, that case, of course, is Petro, P-E-T-R-O, versus the state, 327 Georgia Appeals 254, a 2014 case. So the offenses of rape, incest, and child molestation do not merge, even if they all occurred within a single incident. There are a couple of cases that make that abundantly clear that the elements of those crimes are so different and they require proof, for example, a relationship for incest, an age for child molestation, forcibly and against the will of for rape. That is not required in each of those other crimes. But the, one of the leading cases on required evidence test is Drinkard. That's one of the things that Drinkard stood for, and we have several other cases that hold that. Now, Tane, if you don't mind, I want to talk about the case that we first talked about that probably should be a law school test exam on the, cop, on the topic of merger. Oh, yeah, this is the one that makes my head hurt, and I get those bad law school flashbacks. <laughs> Oliphant, O-L-I-P-H-A-N-T versus Estate, 295 Georgia 597 a 2014 case. You're going to have to follow the facts of this case for this discussion to make any sense. So I'll do my best to sort of identify the players and make it really clear what happened. So in Oliphant, the defendant, he was with a group of men, some people call them a gang, and approached one victim named Pedro in a trailer park. They grabbed him, and they, demand paid, they demanded Pedro's money. Some people in the group, gang, beat him, and others held a gun to his temple and took his cell phone. Then one of the group thrust a gun in Pedro's mouth, demanding his money. Eventually, because they were in a trailer park, Pedro's brother, Jorge, heard the commotion and opened the door to see what was going on. He immediately, that being Jorge, closed the door once he realized what was happening, but the assailants saw him, so they shot Pedro, and then they shot into the trailer where Jorge was standing, and they hit Jorge through the door or through the wall. A bullet fired into the trailer also killed Jorge's wife. His child was also shot inside the trailer, but he survived. The assailants ran away but at least one of them subsequently returned and shot Pedro again. At trial, Oliphant, the defendant, was convicted of all the counts by the jury. In other words, they returned a, a guilty verdict. Oliphant had been charged with malice murder and felony murder as to Jorge's wife. So we'll start with that one. Tanner, we'll let you reiterate that one. That, that's one of those we can't get this wrong category. Sure. The jury, let's, let's review, the jury found the defendant Oliphant guilty with respect to the death of one person, Jorge's wife. 
they found him guilty of the two crimes of malice murder and felony murder as to Jorge's wife. That is the one dead guy or gal rule, okay? If there's one person dead, there's only one crime. And so in that instance, the felony murder would merge into the malice murder. Now, to be fair, it's really... It's actually vacated vacated by by operation operation of of law. That's a phrase I've never really understood. But I will tell you this. If you get it wrong and you say it's merged instead of vacated by operation of law, the appellate court won't even count off your test for that. So now let's look at Oliphant, the defendant in this case, being charged with aggravated assault for shooting at Jorge's wife, and he was also charged with her murder. So when a shooting results in the death of the victim of the aggravated assault, the aggravated assault merges into the murder count. And that's a true merger. That's not vacated by operation of law because it's not essentially the same offense uh, couched in different terms. Correct. So if you got dead from being shot and you are charged with shooting that person, those things merge. I mean, that may not be quite as always and forever as the one dead guy, one form of homicide rule, but it's pretty close. So now Oliphant was charged with armed robbery of Pedro. Remember, he was the one who was outside. And three counts of aggravated assault in which Pedro was the listed victim. You want to talk about this for a minute? Sure. Um, The aggravated assault that alleged that the defendant was guilty of the offense by assaulting Pedro with a handgun while having the intent to rob him clearly merged with the armed robbery count. It was a single transaction, and all of the facts associated with the aggravated assault were, quote-unquote, used up by the armed robbery count. All right, so then on the one of the other aggravated assault accounts, that alleged that the defendant was guilty of aggravated assault by putting the handgun in Pedro's mouth. You may recall they pointed at his head, they hit him, they kicked him, and then they put one, somebody put the gun in Pedro's mouth. A second aggravated assault count alleged that the defendant was guilty of aggravated assault assault by shooting Pedro. The court said that the aggravated assault that was charged because the defendant put the the gun in Pedro's mouth merged with the armed robbery of Pedro. They make the point that those counts merged because it was an assault with a handgun with intent to rob Pedro. Placing the gun in his mouth is not a distinct offense. Pointing at your head, pointing at your chest, pointing at your toes— those, th- those, are not, those aren't three aggravated assaults. That's one aggravated assault. Right. Now, it's not true with the aggravated assault alleging that they were guilty of aggravated assault by shooting Pedro. You may remember the gang ran after shooting into the house trailer, but then somebody, a member of that gang, returned and actually shot Pedro, I think, for the second time. At that point... There was, what? what's the phrase, Tane? There was a... Deliberate interval. So we never got to the required evidence test. We stayed with the deliberate interval issue. And then that, therefore, they would have not merged because we never got, it was, a, it was not a single act or transaction. But that Oliphant case, if you ever just want to get, you can draw that up and sort of do a flow chart. And that, there's, a, there's a lot to that case. A couple of new cases came out that we sort of need to talk about because I think they're interesting. 
Um, you want to talk about Liddy? Sure. In, in Liddy, a defendant is escorted by two police officers with one officer on each of the defendant's arms. The defendant violently attempted to jerk away from the officers, and one of the officers was injured. One count of obstruction or two counts, Wade? The Court of Appeals <laughs> found that the defendant could not be sentenced for two counts of felony obstruction of an officer. They reasoned that the single act of jerking away from the custody of the two officers was the criminal act. Whether it was one officer or two, one count of obstruction. So now compare that. I want you to compare that rule with Mobley. Okay, I'm going to tell you what happened in Mobley. There was a car chase. Police chasing a defendant. Defendant wrecked the car. As the officers approached, as they are wont to do, they don't all stand in the same spot. One of them came from the middle of the road, and one of them came from way out in the shoulder of the road. And they approached this overturned car not knowing what they were to find. The defendant, Mr. Mobley, shot at one of the officers in the middle of the road and then turned and shot at at the other officer who was approaching from the shoulder of the road. Now... And he actually shot at that second officer through the back window of the car, didn't he, Wade? Yeah, because you know that there was some sort of magic video thing that that they could differentiate between shot through the front glass or the back glass or the side. Anyway, tell everybody what happened in in Mobley. Is that one Agassault or two? Well, the Court of Appeals found that those offenses did not merge. They said that the defendant's decision to shoot his gun at two different officers in two different moments in time and from two different vantage points does not amount to a single act. You know, one of our NJO graduates in 2018 had an appellate case, Tane, that that caused some people some consternation. I don't think it's as hard as it came across, but this is one of those hard and fast rules, too, that you can sort of write in, in, in indelible ink with in the topic of merger. The case that came out was Coates, C-O-A-T-E-S, Coates versus the state, 2018 case. Defendant was charged with a drug offense. He was also found guilty of four counts of possession of firearm by a convicted felon. He had four different guns. Mm-hmm. The Court of Appeals affirmed, but the Supreme Court reversed and found that the number of weapons that a convicted felon has in his possession is irrelevant. And our friend, Judge Brooks from Coffee County, he was reversed in that decision. But we talked about it because I think that was a little bit of a departure from at least some dicta in some prior cases. The Donaldson case is one of them that they cited that was actually possession of a firearm during the commission of a crime, which right. is slightly different than possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. But in Donaldson, D-O-N-A-L-D-S-O-N, if the crimes were committed during the course of one continuous crime spree, a defendant may only be convicted once for possession of a firearm during the commission of the crime as to each individual victim. So in that case has been recently cited with approval and reiterated in this Outler case that came out this week that we're coming close to talking about the three merger cases that that came out this week. So basically what the court said in the Donaldson case was the offense of possession of a firearm during the commission of a crime is governed by the number of victims, not the number of crimes charged as a part of that transaction. Is that right? That's correct. And it also has no difference how many guns you had. Mm -hmm. If there is one victim, there can only be one possession of a firearm 
during the commission of a crime, even if you committed four crimes against that victim, if there were separate acts, all of those things, when it comes to possession of a firearm, there typically is only one per victim as a rule. So let's, let's, let's talk about merger at the thousand feet before we talk about what happened this last week. You start a merger determination. This is our wrap up. And this is the thing I want everybody hopefully to take away from this. You start with a determination of whether there is a single actor transaction. Was there a taint? Deliberate interval. Between the acts. If yes, if there was a deliberate interval, no mergers. Don't even initiate the required, element, required evidence test. If no, however, then you have to do the required evidence test. Now, the required evidence test, as we said, is if a single actor transaction, if in a single actor transaction, does the proof of one crime require proof of an element that is not contained within the other crime? If the answer to that question is yes, then there's no merger. If the answer is no, then there's merger. So we're going to start looking at the facts on time. Then we're going to look at required elements. If we do it that way, we will quit messing this up, I hope. Remember, a guilty plea does not eliminate the issue of merger. It simply cannot be waived, and that's the Andrews case, A-N-D-R-E-W-S. So as we were preparing for this podcast here on May the 3rd and wonderful overcast Athens, Georgia, I received a copy of a summary of recent decisions from the Georgia Supreme Court. In that group of how many total cases, maybe six or seven? Yes. There were three that were either reversed or remanded or both based on the topic of merger. Three in a week. Mm-hmm. And some of them maybe were an unforced error. At least one of them, I'm not sure. That one was pretty tough. You right. remember, remember what we were talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start with the easy one, though, Wade. Okay. I mean, one of them was a reinforcement of the one dead guy rule. Um, that's the recent case of Lay, L-A-Y versus the state decided on April the 29th of 2019. And in that case, um, there were two counts of felony murder and a firearm offense. Uh, and the court said because there was only one dead guy, the two counts of felony murder for killing one victim obviously merged. So pretty simple there. Let's go to the other one that I felt like I, I kind of understood, and that's Outler, O-U-T-L-E-R versus the state. That was decided, I believe, on the same date. That's case number S19A158, S19A158. So in Outler, that's a Jefferson County case. The defendant and victim in 2011, they were roommates very briefly. The victim's body was found decomposing. There's a lot of interesting facts that none of which really get to the issue of merger. The medical examiner in that case testified that the victim would have survived the gunshot wound but the depression fracture of his skull was fatal. So we know there are two different facts, but there was nobody who saw the killing. So there was medical evidence to show both of a shooting and a beating, but there was no fact evidence, no fact witness called. Therefore, there was no evidence to support the conclusion of a deliberate interval between the shooting and the beating. So the aggravated assault, has to merge with the murder. But this case had the, the added 
fun of discussing merger in the connection of possession of firearm during the commission of a crime. The defendant in Outler was charged with three counts of possession of firearm during the commission of a crime, one for an ag assault being the underlying crime, one for the armed robbery, one for the murder. The court said no, where there is only one victim, there can only be one conviction for an offense of possession of firearm during the commission of a crime unless, and this is a little bit of a curveball, unless under 1611-106-B2-5, through 5, it involves one of those specified crimes. If it involves a specified crime, there might be the possibility of more than one conviction. But it didn't matter that he had committed three crimes with a firearm. There could only be one possession firearm because there was only one victim, and that's the Outler, O-U-T-L-E-R case. And let me interject one other thing here. Um, there are certain special circumstances where the legislature has specifically designated crimes that should not merge. And the one that comes to mind is in the context of gang-related crimes. There is a statute there, and I, I don't have the citation for you here, but it's in the specific gang statute that says uh, that certain types of gang activity are not considered to merge, even if they're all subsumed in the gang statute. So you just need to be aware that sometimes if the legislature has specifically said these crimes do not merge, that's a specific exception to the test that we're talking about here today. The last case that we wanted to talk about that had come out this last week was the case of Wofford, W-O-F-F-O-R-D versus the state. That was decided on the same day, and it's case number S-19A-129. Now, the difference in Wofford is that there was an aggravated assault and aggravated battery. The victim was shot. The bullet lodged in such a way or did such damage that the victim was essentially paralyzed. The court said, no, the aggravated assault and the aggravated battery would merge. Do you have that right in front of you? Yes. And the reason that they said was both of them are based on the infliction of a single gunshot wound upon Blackburn. So, folks, that wraps up our discussion of merger. We know that there are probably lots of factual scenarios we haven't addressed. We tried our best to give you rules that you could follow going forward. I know that you may find that to be the enthralling and exciting topic of, of merger, but we get it wrong so often. We really probably need to make a concerted effort on this. We want to thank you for listening to the Good Judgment podcast. This project, once again, was the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the executive director of the ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Jim Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law. And, of course, thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner, who is a digital media professional and has helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. Well, he couldn't get it all. And Tane and I are extremely grateful to the Council Superior Court judges who allow us to lead NJO, the new judge orientation for the Superior Court judges across Georgia. We'd also like to give our thanks to our NJO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. Um, you know that these podcasts are our opinions and they do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or really one, anyone else for that matter. Any other acronym. They are not their opinions. They are our opinions. So you can contact us at any time at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. And uh, please do contact someone else with any complaints you have. 
But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Once again, I am Wade Paget, And I'm Tane Kell. And thanks for listening. Tane, anything else before we wrap this up? I really think we should get some phones in here so we can take calls, Wade. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.